Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue, and finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month's topic is on the drug crisis in our communities, and today, we're talking with Ohio House Representative Phil Plummer. Representative Plummer, it's great to have you on the show with us today. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Representative Plummer, if we could just start briefly with your background and why do you know something about this topic? My name's Phil Plummer. I'm a state representative. I'm in my third year in Columbus advocating for these kind of topics we're about ready to discuss. So I was born in Dayton, Ohio, lifelong Catholic. I've been married for 32 years and been blessed with three great, great children. So God's been good to me. We've been blessed. I've been fortunate enough to have a career in law enforcement. I worked at the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office, which is Dayton, Ohio, for 30 years. The last 10 years, I was the elected sheriff of Montgomery County. So I've had a lot of experience dealing with people with substance abuse issues and mental health issues. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. So Tanya Folks, she's been on our show a couple of times. She works in trafficking up there in Montgomery County. You must know her. Oh, Tanya, she's a warrior. I mean, she does great, great work for us. She's the best. Okay. So you know something about the drug problem. You have been here in Dayton for your whole life and you were in the sheriff's office for a number of years. Why don't you tell us why it is that you came to the House of Representatives to uh, to do something in this issue? My last six years as a sheriff was a very intense time because this is when this whole opioid mess started. So, you know, we started with pills. Doctors were over-prescribing patients, and we were good patients. If you got a bottle of Vicodin, we thought we had to take the Vicodin. So 80% of our people that were addicted to heroin started off with opioids, with pills that we got from doctors. We figured out that was a problem, right? So we took care of the doctors that were just shopping out medications for profit. So we shut down the doctor shopping, and we arrested a lot of doctors that were just putting this poison in our streets. And then, unfortunately, we got hit with a heroin crisis. So the Mexican cartels... Timing's everything. They realized we shut down the pill mills. They hit us with heroin. Right. Then it really got bad for us. We seen it just an uptick in deaths overnight. They decided heroin wasn't strong enough. So they start hitting us with fentanyl. And a lot of the fentanyl came from China. So they were sneaking across the southern border through the Mexican cartels. And they're also mailing it to your house through U.S. Postal from China. Once fentanyl hit the streets, we were losing people left and right. Fortunately, Dayton, my community, we were ground zero for this in the country. Right. So why is that? What is it about that area, this area of the country? There's several reasons. You know, we're a big manufacturing town, an automotive town, and we lost a lot of that. So people were suffering due to the job loss. We're the crossroads of America with I-70 and I-75, and the cartels use that as distribution points. So they'd literally take the heroin and fentanyl from Mexico, and they'd stop right at 70 and 75. We have a street up here called Miller Lane, where there's a bunch of hotels, And that's where they would stop. Then they'd hit 70 east and west, you know, to Chicago and New York. So it's just a distribution point. And there's also a 75, 71 intersection down in Cincinnati as well. That sometimes can be a problem in different in different areas. Okay, so then you you were doing what you could as a sheriff. Then you come to see. Is this true? You came to see there were some things that need to be done legislatively and you wanted to help try to do something about that as well. We couldn't arrest our way out of this, unfortunately. We certainly tried. So, you know, we got wise as well and figured, hey, we need more treatment here. We need to change the laws on how this is being dealt with. So, you know, I hit my 30-year mark in law enforcement. So I retired and I ran for the state legislator with the intent of fixing this, at least throwing the right resources towards it. And we're making progress right now. 
do you feel like as your time as a sheriff, did, did you have a bit of a change of heart? Did you come into it feeling more like these are criminals and then realizing these are normal people that are just getting addicted to things? Or did you understand that from the beginning and there really wasn't some big conversion you realized as a law enforcement officer? No, it was a learning curve because, like I said, we got into it from ground zero with the pills. This was the beginning of it. So we tried to arrest our way out of it. And it just so it wasn't working when you're arresting the same person six, seven and eight times because right. they're, they're relapsing and what have you. That's when we realized this isn't working. This is not right. working. You know, we always want accountability, right? If you do the crime, you need sure. to do the time. But, you know, this these drugs take over the chemistry of your brain. And it right. takes six months for you to get rewired and get your brain clean. Plus, also learned that, you know, a lot of these people, 40, 45 year old, that's our working class person was standing on corners begging for money. So when they're they're addicted, it's hard to turn that ship around. So then we really said we need to get into the prevention mode. We need to stop the next generation from getting in this this mess. Okay, so what kind of things have you been putting forward legislatively to try to tackle this problem? Well, last General Assembly, I had House Bill 1, our very first bill. That's our number one priority bill. And it was due to this opioid epidemic. And what that did was we passed it, the governor signed it, and that allowed people that had multiple felonies and misdemeanors on their record to be sealed and expunged. So when when a person's addicted, we arrest them. They usually are in jail for three days. Then we have to get the drugs processed and approve its actual legal substance. And you have to release them. They just go out and get high again. Mm -hmm. So- you know, when you go and expunge one felony, they're going out there getting three, four, and five felonies before we even get that first one through the court system. So the current law would only allow you to expunge one felony, but now you got two, three, four, and five pending. So you're never going to get back in the workforce. So I changed the law where we can expunge and seal numerous misdemeanors and felonies that are nonviolent, of course, right? to get these people the help they need. And once they get their life back together, they get their records clean and they get back in the workforce. So that's a big step right there. What other things have you been working on? We also got a new drug treatment center opened up here in Dayton, Ohio, because we kind of lack those kind of resources. The larger cities have decent resources. We lack that, which really hurt us, you know, in the recovery period. So we're getting more resources here for us. And I also just put into the state budget. It's budget season right now. So we just passed the budget out of the House and it's in the Senate where we're going to put $2 million dollars into medicated assistant treatment in the jails. And the intent of, of that is if somebody's still suffering from drug abuse, we can shoot you up with some medication that can block opioids. Vivitrol is the primary drug. So that'll block opioids for 30 days. So I'm gonna reimburse jails who use this particular medication, which will block the opioids. So when you get out of jail, you're not gonna go get high again because the opioids won't work. With the intent of getting you into treatment, in that 30 day period. So we're buying time because usually when somebody gets out of jail, their resistance is lower. They go out and use the same amount of heroin or fentanyl. And that's what kills them. So we're trying to buy them time to get them into treatment. Okay. So opioid blocker, you'll just have to. So that means that if you take an opioid, it doesn't have an effect on you. That's what that means. That's what that means. Yes. So they can take heroin, but they're not going to get high. Right. So Interesting. Not going to satisfy their needs. That's very interesting. Now, there was something I read about. There was in 2020, I think, the Comprehensive Ohio Drug Addiction Solution. I think there was a five bill. Do you know what I'm talking about? They tried to pass Senate Bill 3, which made felony drugs misdemeanors, which I opposed for one reason. You need the hammer to get people into treatment. A lot of times when people at rock bottom and think they're going to prison, that's when they wake up. But if you're just going to give them a misdemeanor, that wasn't strong enough to make them realize 
you know, I'm going away for a while. So I opposed that, but I also worked on the back end with House Bill 1 to clean their records up once they got treatment and get them back into the workforce. So that was kind of a, an intense time, but just due to my experience, I don't think making felony drugs misdemeanors, that's just not going to work for us. That's all the problem. Right. Right. What else? A big hole in the system is mental health. A lot of these people that are addicted to drugs have both problems. They're duly diagnosed. So they have a mental health issue and a substance use issue. So we just don't have enough treatment centers for people with mental health. So we're really working on that now. We lack counselors for mental health. So we're going to look at programs to entice people to go get become psychologists and psychiatrists. The governor just put more money into wraparound services in the schools with the intent of paying more psychologists and psychiatrists. So we have people boots on the ground in the schools. Because, you know, a lot of our kids have issues. A lot of these issues were driven by the opioid epidemic where a mom and dad strung out or, you know, dad's in prison. We have broken families. The kids have to come home to this. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times I pulled up on an overdose site where mom's overdosed and you swear to God she's dead and the kids are getting off the school bus. Wow. Mom's in the front yard blue in the face. Could you imagine the challenges in that? We got to focus more on prevention. Like I said, I'm worried about this generation that's addicted. We've lost a lot of people to deaths. Unfortunately, last year was our record amount of deaths. Last year in Ohio. And it hasn't been talked about because of COVID. But you know what? People couldn't go out and socialize. They couldn't go to their group treatment centers. Everybody was locked down. People were depressed and went back to opioids. Wow. We got to get back in gear here to start addressing this problem. I'll take you down the path of some of our investigations. So when I was sheriff, I ran two major drug units here in Dayton, Ohio, because like I said, the cartels, we had two cartels in our city. They'd come from Mexico to Dayton, Ohio, and we became a source city. When a source city is, that's where they store their, their drugs and prices are cheaper. So people would come from Cincinnati and Columbus to Dayton, Ohio to buy their drugs because they were cheaper because this was the bank. So I ran two major drug units here. And we just did a tremendous job and you got to keep pressure on these cartels. What we really went after is, of course, we wanted the drugs, but we also did intense investigations. We'd take the cash. When the cash came back to the carriers, we'd intercede the cash. In two-year period, we took off $7 million cash money from the cartels. So, you know, may not be a drop in the bucket to their enterprise, but it shifted their patterns. They moved out of my community because we were hitting them hard. So we need more federal resources. I'm really worried about our borders are not secure right now due to political issues. And if your borders aren't secure, these drugs are going to flood in again. You said something about also some coming through the mail from China, in addition to over the border. You said both of those, both of those issues. So what, what can be done about things coming through the mail? We worked with Postal Service. We had some federal legislation. Senator Portman was really involved in it. We got Postal to do better inspections. There just weren't enough Postal, postal inspectors to inspect the packages coming in because it only takes a few grains of fentanyl to kill somebody. So it doesn't take much to get shipped over here. You want to tell any stories like, of, you know, some of the listeners may have no idea, right? I mean, you, you went over it really quickly. You know, there's more restrictions on keeping doctors from putting so many pain pills in people's hands so easily. How does that still happen today that you're a normal, ordinary citizen, right? You have some kind of a issue comes up, you get prescribed some pain medications, and then you get addicted to it couple things there. We did, we passed some laws to limit the amount of prescriptions a doctor can give you. But one thing we're seeing is pills coming from Michigan. So we did a lot of investigations on people riding Greyhound buses from Michigan. And every day we'd catch somebody bringing down a bag full of pills. So we had a hole in the system there. So they'd bring, you know, hundreds of pills down, 
put them back in the streets, and we'd still have an addiction problem. We also had elderly people that were struggling for cash. They would sell their pills in the streets for money. You know, I don't think they were aware of the damage they were doing, but pills were very, very expensive when we shut them off. It was a dollar a milligram for an Oxycontin. One pill, 80 milligram pill of Oxycontin was 80 bucks in the streets. There was tremendous street value on those pills. Gangs were doing robberies at pharmacies. They'd go and hold up a pharmacy and all they'd want is the Oxycontins because of the street value on them. So, you know, it's it's a -a whack-a-mole. You close one hole, two more pop up. Let's say typical story, someone someone is addicted to drugs, they commit a felony, right? Maybe what would happen to them three years ago? What would happen to, to, to them today? And maybe what would be your goal? What would you like to see be the world situation that would happen to that person who's addicted to drugs and commits a felony? You know, that person, like I said, we got to get them proper treatment. Where we're failing is most of our treatment's 30 days. That's not long enough. So they're they're sitting in treatment for 30 days, waiting on day 31 to go get high. So we just wasted $1,000 on a failed treatment center. So we have to expand treatment facilities. We have one good center here. It's a six-month facility. And that works pretty well because, like I said, your brain's wired differently when you're addicted. So we need that time to clean your brain up, to get you thinking right again. And then we got to look at your, your psychological issues. If you still have problems, you're going to go back to drugs. We got to get you out of the environment where you capture the drugs. You might be a bad home environment. You might be a bad neighborhood. We got to change your environment or you're going to go back to the old ways. Like I said, with my bill of sealing and expunging records, that we're going to give you a chance to get a job. Right. So if you get a job like me and you, we get up and we're productive every day. I don't have time to go out and right. party and hang out. Exactly. I'm tired, probably like you, right? I get ready for my next day of work. <laughs> exactly. We got kids to take care of. And then by that time, that's right. I'm glad you mentioned kids because you should see the problems that created with children's services. Oh. Your parent system, you know, they were both overloaded. We were having so many deaths. Our coroner's office had to rent refrigerated trucks to store bodies out back of the coroner's office. I mean, it was terrible, Brian. We as Americans, and I've told our, pol- our federal politicians, we better wake up because we're losing entire cities of people to the drug overdose deaths. What were the years that that was worst here in Ohio, or at least in Dayton? Well, so it had been eight years ago when the pills started flowing. So six years after that, it just progressed. You know, it went from pills to heroin to fentanyl, now to methamphetamines. I seriously believe the cartels flood us with methamphetamines because they were killing our customer base. It's unbelievable. Are there some things going on right now that you're actively fighting that maybe even it would be helpful for our listeners to contact the local representatives to tell them to vote for. I'm working on a couple other policies, but they're not dropped yet. Okay. It does. It is doing more with mental health to keep that population from getting hooked on drugs also. But what I want to tell the listeners, if you have anybody that you think is addicted, get them help immediately. Right. Yeah. You know, the tr- traditional signs of money missing, you know, them stealing from you, staying out late, get them help because this addiction is so terrible. I always tell people I wouldn't wish it on my enemy. Is there like a particular helpline or do you just do you just want to you need to look up online for what's in your local area? Adam's board has a, an app you can get on there and they can they can take you to treatment centers. But you know, the problem with treatment centers are this one will accept insurance, this one won't accept that insurance. It's the biggest confusing racket there is. So we really got to streamline streamline the system because like I told you before. I had so many mothers call me and say, my child's going to die tonight and I can't get them help. And you know, when we'd arrest them, they'd call us and say, thank you. 
because I know he's in your jail and I know he's safe. What if somebody that you said people called you, but what if you know someone who's addicted, maybe even your child, would you call, would you just call your local police department? You go Google treatment centers. What's the best recommendation for trying to get help? I would take the route of trying to get them proper treatment. We have families of addicts here. That's a support system for the families that have a loved one that's addicted. So there's support systems out there. When I was a sheriff, I hired a couple people that were former addicts. So we had a peer-to-peer program. You know, the person was addicted. They knew the process. They could walk to walk and talk to talk both. So peer-to-peer systems are always good. I mean, we've made progress as far as tackling this problem. But unfortunately, like I said, due to COVID last year, the problem's worse than ever. You said families of addicts. Is that the name of a particular group that you could look up online? Yeah, FOA, Families of Addicts. And it's based out of Dayton, and it's just a tremendous group. When we post this online, we can put that at the bottom of the screen. Family of Addicts is one example. Other places that you can recommend that people should call if they know they need some help? You know, we also have the court systems that really became specialty court systems. So we have a women's therapeutic court. We have a veterans court. Each group of this population has specific needs. So the judges are really on board. I mean, you could talk to some of your local judges and we're trying to push that process across the entire state of Ohio. Veterans, they have PTSD, could get hooked on drugs because of their mental health issues. So we have a court that deals with them specifically that walks them through the process because there's a lot of good resources out there for veterans or your health department. Your health department's more engaged now. Okay, very good. What else do you wanna talk about about some of the work you've done there as a representative? I got a good bill with Children's Services right now where we had an issue where a 10-year-old child was beat to death by his father here in Dayton, Ohio. And there were a lot of signs. 10 teachers called Children's Services crying for help for this child. Nobody helped them. There's mandatory reporters that have to call in if they see a crime. So a mandating follow-up from Children's Services to the mandatory reporters to say, hey, we got your complaint. We're investigating it. And then here's the outcome of it. Because a lot of time there was no follow-up. I'm mandating that children's services and the police departments talk and share reports because in that situation, children's services are out there 10 times and the police were out there 10 times. They didn't know it. And obviously where there's smoke, there's fire and they missed it. So I'm mandating they communicate more just to protect these children. So that's a good deal. Yeah, I was going to ask how that would happen. So the, so they came out to the house 10 times and the police came out 10, but the children's service didn't know the police had come out. And the police didn't know that, but even then, so they came out, I guess they came out and didn't see anything. Yeah. Or somebody wouldn't answer. So they got to communicate and say, we're out there 20 times. Somebody better take a look at this. So that'll be good. Help, help protect our kids. I got a pretty interesting bill right now. It's called my professional police practice bill, where we want to help the good officers. The officers right now need to lift it up because it's been tough on them. But then we also want to hold the bad officers accountable. You know, and we've seen a couple of situations where they're bad officers and bad actions and it's it's hard to get rid of bad officers so this bill will help hold them more accountable but also lift them up you know we just put 15 million dollars in the budget for police training we just put 10 million dollars in for body cameras so i'm really focusing on the police profession and make it a true profession right because that job is only harder much harder than it ever was yeah so, and the older guys are retiring and the young kids don't want to get in so we're right. trying and I always tell people, it's like, you know, we're disrespectful to the officials in soccer games. What are we going to do when we have no officials? What are we going to do when we have no police officers? Exactly. When nobody's willing to do it. Right? Yeah. You need to interject a little more civility here in life and start treating people like you want to be treated, right? Exactly. So sometimes I like to share 
see if you if there's like a little story that kind of puts a face on to how people have a little more empathy if they hear a story of how it is that the system's broken for helping people who are addicted to drugs. Yeah, I'll explain two situations. I was really involved myself because I consider these people friends and they don't mind me sharing their stories. I just don't use their names. But I have one young lady that's been fighting addiction for eight years, on and off, on and off. She'll stay clean for a couple of years, then she'll relapse. So I really tracked these two people and I kept in contact with them all the time because I said, I got to have two successful stories in my career because it's that hard to break this cycle. So I was following the young lady. She'd get arrested now and then. She had a couple babies out of wedlock because when they get addicted, they're prostituting themselves or being trafficked. We haven't talked about human trafficking yet. She's being abused. So I'd keep up with her aunt because we were pretty good friends. And I call the aunt all the time and say, how she's doing? How she's doing? We had her clean for three years. She had a baby. She was employed. Well, she got fired the other day. And I got the call from the aunt. The girl's outrun the streets. She's doing drugs again. She's doing heroin. She's got her two-year-old baby with her doing wow. drugs. So we get the police involved. The police say, we can't do anything about it. She's an adult. Blah. We're like, well, take the baby. Please take the baby because she's out of her mind doing drugs. They wouldn't take the baby. Those frustrating moments, why we got to get engaged early and keep our kids off these drugs. Because that girl's been through this for eight years and it's been just a disaster for her. So we got her back finally. We got the baby secured. She stayed out a few more days getting high and now she's back in treatment again. So it's just that revolving door. And the problem with substance abuse is somebody can be clean for two years and have one bad day and crack. That's the scary thing about it. My second buddy was a millionaire. Dad owned a company. He was a millionaire. He was inheriting the company, drove a, drove a Lamborghini, had anything he wanted, disposable cash, and he got addicted. And you talk about a challenge, getting somebody that's a millionaire out of addiction. Right. So how do you get addicted? Do you know? He got addicted with pain pills, like right. 80% of the other people. You know, he's an athlete. Common back injury, knee injury. You take the pills the doctor gave you. Well, it, it got very bad. Lost his wife, lost his kids over it. And we finally got him clean, doing much better. He got remarried and he finally has visitation to his children. And, you know, that was a tough one. Cause like I said, that guy could buy anything he wanted at any time. And, you know, I got him out of that. I told him, here's a deal. I'm going to arrest you. You're going to lose your business. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose every asset you have. And that finally woke him up. He hit rock bottom. And thank God, because he was in a downward spiral. You're able to get him into some kind of a treatment after arresting him, I guess. Yeah, well, I didn't have to arrest him. I just threatened him. He I just threatened to arrest him. Yeah, luckily, he felt the threat. Or I would have to save his life. I'd arrested him. But he, he figured out he better get his act together before he loses everything. He already lost his wife and kids. There ain't many positive stories out there. So that's why we got to get on top of this addiction process and get into prevention and keep our next generation out of it. How does your faith tie in with your feeling like we need really need to help people with this problem? A lot of times, you know, when I was a sheriff and seen the worst of the worst, you just have to go home at night and get on your knees and pray. Pray God keeps me strong, keeps me focused. I could tell everybody about the police profession. You see negativity after negativity. Right. And I tell the guys, you got to surround yourself with good people or you're going to lose reality if there's good people in this world. My faith lifted me up. I had God. I prayed every night in bed and I'd pray for my troops, my officers. Right. These cartel members, you know, this is a billion dollar industry. This is bigger than Walmart. They threaten my deputies and say, I know where your kids are at. They don't play. You know, I'd pray for those guys every night. There's power in prayer and I use it. This topic gets a little bit depressing, but we have God on our side and I'm blessed to be a strong-willed person and stay in the fight. And I surround myself with good people. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to get this right someday. 
All right. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for sharing with what you and others in the Ohio legislature are doing to help our communities with this drug crisis affecting us today, both to help those in recovery and also helping keeping our kids from getting addicted in the first place. So thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you and I hope the listeners enjoy our discussion. And if you need anything else, feel free to call me. If anybody out there has any ideas on how we can pass legislation to help combat this issue, call me, please. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website, check out the video version or the links talked about in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash Thanks again for listening and I look forward to being with you next time.